0: afternoon and welcome to today's broadcast of Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed, of course. This is the Black Talk Radio Network. You can find us on the web at BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. If you just put in a search engine, Black Talk Radio, you will find us. You'll find the network. You'll find all the social media accounts um, that we distribute content through. Hope that um, you all have been having a constructive week halfway through it, well a little more than halfway through it weekend coming up, so I just hope that um, it has been a productive week for you all thus far certainly has been um, on my end Um, so yes, today we do have two guests scheduled to uh, join us today, Uh, during the first hour we will speak with miss mary sanchez who writes for the kansas city star um she wrote an article that i took interest in a couple of weeks ago back in march about right-wing media personalities such as rush limbaugh and a whole lot of others you can just indict the entire fox news network itself Uh, but they have been poisoning the media airwaves the social media space with um You know, claims that President Obama and U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder are responsible for the two police officers that were reportedly shot in Ferguson, Missouri. So she, she wrote about that propaganda and we want to ask her what kind of impact do you think this has on the public discourse or in terms of righting the wrongs that were uncovered in Ferguson? So we're looking forward to speaking to her here in just a bit. She she will be joining us about 10 after the hour. Also, in case you have not heard a U.S. Senator, a sitting U.S. Senator, New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez has been indicted on a number of charges concerning political corruption, accepting bribes and in. in you know uh plane trips and all kind of stuff in exchange for political favors and of course, he is pleading his innocence um also a Florida doctor was also indicted along with him, a longtime democratic um financer gives to the party, certainly gave to u s Senator Bob Menendez, and some of the ways he gave has gotten the senator into uh, trouble with these charges. And I have the question. I want to relate that back to Ferguson. How is it that we can see a sitting U.S. senator, if I even look locally here in North Carolina, look at uh, Patrick Cannon, the former mayor of Charlotte, had not even been in office a year yet, and he was indicted on public corruption charges and you know um through the years i have heard about the department of justice indicting several public officials but with all that indictment going on i i just can't explain why we have yet to see anybody being indicted by the department of justice for what went on in ferguson Even though the Department of Justice report said that not only did they engage in the constitutional violations of people's rights and they named several different amendments, but they also said that they were in violation of federal statutes. So apparently the Department of Justice is not afraid to indict powerful people Because certainly Senator Bob Menendez uh, can be described as a person in Congress who wielded considerable power. So obviously, they don't have a problem doing that, but then on one hand, you know, we again, haven't seen anyone indicted for the crimes that occurred in St. Louis County, Missouri. During the second hour of, of today, we will be joined by a former guest. It's been a couple of years since uh Mr. Chet W. Sisk has been on the program Black Talk Radio and he is going to join us about 5 o'clock p.m. top of the hour. Uh We will be talking to him about a book that he is working on called Above and Beyond All That We Know How to Thrive and Succeed in the Current World Paradigm Shift." So I have some questions about some of the things that uh, Mr. Six believes. He believes that the world is currently in what is referred to as the Information Society, but based on his research and gathering intelligence that the planet is about to enter into a period called the Empowerment Enlightenment age. So we w- we want to get his thoughts. Uh, Mr. uh Sis is a leadership development specialist. Been doing that for about 11 years. Leadership development specialist to the World Assembly of Youth. He graduated with a journalism degree from Southern Illinois University at Carbondale. So we we are looking forward to speaking to uh, Mr. Sis. Again, I think the last time he was on the network was back in 2012. I can only hope that we are entering into a period of enlightenment, but from the evidence that I see with so many people not even knowing that the United States never abolished slavery via the 13th Amendment, that it has a big exception clause in there where we can look at it where it says people can be put back into slavery as punishment for crime and we can go back through over the last 150 years and see the rise of mass incarceration re-enslavement of black people in this country so I would like to hope that you know if we're entering into an enlightenment period that people become enlightened about that very fact so, yeah, so that's the program for today. At any time, you can call in with your questions or your comments. 530-881-1400. The access code is 549 32 two pound. Once you get dialed in, shout out to those already dialed in just listening, but if you have a question or comment, hit star six and the number one. And you'll be able to comment on air throughout the program. If you have a question, comment for either of our guests, be sure to get those in, you know, um, early. Hope you've had an opportunity to read Mrs. Sanchez's article. Propaganda, as I've often talked about on this network and you know, from which I've learned from other people over the years as well. Propaganda is a tool of warfare. And through miseducation and misinformation and disinformation, you know, we can see, look and see why there are so many millions of people who are uninformed in this country. and so as should have been expected though you see the right wing undermining the report that came out of Ferguson produced by the Department of Justice which talked about what I presume to be as RICO Act violations conspiracy to to take money from the citizens of Ferguson, residents of Ferguson but yeah I, I just you know can't wrap my mind around the fact that nobody's been charged and now if this was like some little backwater story oh, excuse me let me reconnect my uh re- correct myself if this was like a story that was happening in a little town and, and you know it for whatever reasons the national media didn't pick it up people didn't rise up in the street cause that's where it started and said enough is enough you know Now, since this, since that did happen, you would think people would be charged since this is such a high profile case, but it's not. And it appears to me that people are just moving on from the story now. And the story in fact has been changed now. Now it's all about the two cops that got shot in front of the Ferguson police department at the retirement party uh, residents were holding for the outgoing police chief, Ferguson police chief. That is what the story is right now. That is how the story has been changed. The narrative is being changed. I do believe we may have our guests on the line, area code eight one six. Who who are we speaking with?
1: Hello, this is Mary Sanchez.
0: Greetings to you, Miss Sanchez.
1: Good afternoon.
0: Glad, So glad that you take time out of your day um To join us to discuss some of the things that's going on uh right across the kansas border i am assuming that you are a resident of Kansas, which is right across the border from Missouri, and you have been writing about you know what people have been uh talking about coming out of Ferguson which started with the mm-hmm. protest um when Michael Brown was killed so um, again, thank yes, you. F-
1: yeah, I, I'm based in Kansas City, um, which actually is in I'm on Missouri side, but you know I could almost sit and reach Kansas. It's uh, there's a Kansas City, Missouri, and Kansas City, Kansas, but Ferguson is just um, four miles to the at uh, four miles four hours <laughs> to the east of me. So yes, it's very much you know home jurisdiction to a certain extent. Mm-hmm.
0: And. So I, I just wanted to bring you on to talk about an article that you wrote a couple of weeks ago and about, you know, right-wing media. Uh We know the usual names, the personalities, the big names like Rush Limbaugh. You have Ann Coulter also who has said some things. And you had wrote in, in the article um about them undermining the report um what was you know the result of the DOJ investigation and also blaming uh President Obama and Eric Holder for the two officers who were shot outside of, of the police station there uh in Ferguson but before we get into some of what you wrote about um what have you been writing about recently concerning Ferguson um you know we're starting to get bits and pieces of more information concerning the alleged uh suspect um, I don't recall his name right now, who is uh has been charged with the shooting of those two police officers. So where are you at in your coverage thus far uh with
1: Ferguson? Oh Jeff Jeffrey Williams. Yeah, there hasn't been a whole lot more that came out. He um they arrested him fairly quickly. I think he's twenty years old. He was on probation. I think the charge was something like receiving stolen property, so it's a little vague to know exactly the extent of any of his past criminal behavior, Um, you know, I think it's still somewhat up in the air what actually happened on that day, and that's kind of where all of this has gotten really fuzzy in people's heads and easy for people to distort.
2: Mm -hmm. It
1: seems like a lot of people just don't, they've never grasped that the killing of Michael Brown was about more than just that one case, and what they immediately go back to is well, but the DOJ didn't find, you know, this, this, or this. And it's like they dismiss the other report, the broader, the 102-page Department of Justice report that just clearly and glaringly slammed Ferguson for what I would call, and I did call it other columns, it's just a blatant example, a perfect example of institutionalized racism. And it's like, that is the broader, bigger issue. But people want to dismiss that, and they want to focus on just one incident here, one incident there. It's it's almost a cherry-picking that occurs. Um, And it's a way for people to disassociate from the bigger, broader problems that, to me, is why Ferguson resonated across the nation, because it tipped off things for a lot of people, and it wasn't just about one young man dying. When you say that, I mean off. that Basically, that's what I've been writing about since it could happen. I mean, it's just, I cover a lot of policing issues. Um, I'm syndicated with Tribune Media. I think the piece that you mentioned was a syndicated piece. So that's... I don't know where you had seen it, but it goes... Oh, uh, KansasCity.com. Uh, Kansas yeah. It, it, actually, it's probably printed in a lot of newspapers um, and on a lot of websites. But there's just a lot about... Ferguson just draws up so many things. I mean, I can't, I can't even tell you how many columns I've written now on it. Um, there's a lot of misunderstanding of policing, of use of lethal force. There, it just, it gets into so many issues with class and race and ugly stereotypes and what are real truths. And, I mean, we can go on and on. It's like you asked the questions, but there's just, there's a lot of things involved here. And it is, unfortunately people's knowledge base is rife with bias and prejudice mm-hmm. um, misunderstandings kind of wanting to take one side over the other immediately
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's just not that simple um, anyway so that's that's a little bit of kind of where I come from what you know you tell me what you would want Kind of Here, for your listeners today.
0: He, well, here's a question that that myself and and other uh, people who host programs on this network and we've also been writing about it is here's what we don't understand out of the department of justice report on Ferguson as we read the report and even just in the summary it talks about the constitutional violations it named several of uh, different amendments first amendment fourth amendment uh as well as uh, i think a few others uh, but it also mentioned you know federal statute violations and so, as we read the news, the headlines we've been hearing in the past twenty-four hours about a U.S. Senator Bob Menendez being indicted mm-hmm. on public corruption charges, we are just scratching our heads as to how there are no criminal charges coming out of this report, which you mentioned covers a whole lot of things, of uh, things that are criminal uh, in nature. So, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss for words on that.
1: Well, because do you criminally charge... There's two reports. There's one report that looked at the the specifics of could Darren Wilson, the officer who shot Michael Brown, be charged with a federal crime. And generally what people were looking at there was a hate crime statute um, or some sort of abuse of power. And this gets into the stickiness of these situations, why they're so hard to get at and why, quite honestly, so many times charges are never filed, Mm -hmm. is that police have a lot of legal authority to take Mm lives. Personally, I think he, that officer, created the situation where he did have the legal lethal force once it became a struggle between him and Michael Brown.
2: He basically went out and provoked the fight.
1: We all know. I mean, here's the problem. You're never going to know because all you have is Darren Wilson's version you have the forensics, but you will not ever have Michael Brown to say what was really said, what was really done in those first moments. But an altercation occurred and a life you know, his life was taken and just on the forensics it didn't back up. It's a really high standard at the federal level. Yes, and US had attorney
0: had, Eric Holder mentioned that the, the standard's too high.
1: Yes. It's really hot Yeah, and that's a whole other question Of do those standards need to be lowered Um, A lot of people don't understand them They don't understand hate crimes You you hear people say all the time Well, you know a, A black person can never get charged with a hate crime And oh, yes, they can It's not about, you know, who does it It's about the intent of when you do something Right And that's kind of another tangent there But people misunderstand Or they confuse some, I think um, not you, but perhaps <laughs> other radio talk show hosts um, like to blend it in and not separate that. There's two reports. There's a report on the specific incident of Darren Wilson and Michael Brown's death, and then there is that broader 102-page report that I've also written about that is just awful. I mean, it will just churn your stomach of how backwards, how
0: yes, we've read it, we've read it, and that's um, yeah,
1: what my question is mean, about. Incredible, the lack of. In, you know, interview after interview, even with the police chief, the lack of understanding of basic policing principles of reasonable suspicion, probable cause, it's like they didn't have it. I mean, it was incredibly poorly trained. It was a department that, you know, honestly, good people existed in and still do. There was reports of officers who had tried to complain, but bad systems shut down people like that. And it it goes into that. It talks about how, you know, the court system, how it was just set up and almost just rigged to force the officers to go out and just write as many citations as possible to just harass people. Well, you know, that's a largely white police force. It's a largely black population. You've got a situation right there, and that's systemic. That doesn't even have to even totally to begin with something that's racially based that system race plays into it but you know that's institutionalized racism me- there was all sorts of ways and they've changed some of it already I mean they changed it immediately after the shooting some things about how the court was only I forget now it's like one or two days in a month that they held municipal court and some of that's on budgeting and staffing and that they you know, if you were late at all, you'd be hit with another $50 fine, and it was just this compilation, and, you know, it's a like fine, and it's accumulation of fine upon fine upon fine. You know, it's a system that was just beating its own citizenry up. And a lot of it revolved around money and budgeting. You can trace it back even further to, you know, it gets into property taxes, and how do cities operate, and where does the money come from? I mean, it's it just, it's large, it's very large, but the end result is you have a police force that seems to be just harassing its own citizenry to make a budget. And and that Sanchez. is the underlying problem of some of what occurred there. And then, sure, people just, you know, when they saw when he died, I mean, it was just awful. Now, it was like a, a last thought.
0: In the um, report summary, le- let me read this sentence because I want to go back. You know, to m- to my question, we're still ch- yeah. asking the question. We are talking about the second report, not the first report. Um uh, uh, okay. you know, between Darren Wilson and uh Michael Brown now we're talking about the second report, which you were just you know talking about is horrendous now it says from this report summary, this investigation has revealed a pattern or practice of unlawful yeah. conduct within the Ferguson Police Department that violates the first, fourth, and fourteenth amendments to the United States Constitution and federal statutory law. And so, again, I ask the question, where are the criminal indictments for the violations of federal statutory law? We are left to speculate that they're talking about RICO Act uh, violations. What,
1: what are your thoughts? Well, generally how these things work is you go into a consent decree um, like L.A. did after Rodney King I Detroit, think had I remember, a remember Al- Albuquerque's got one right now. Mm-hmm. When they find pattern in practice, which is really kind of a legal term that your problems are widespread. They're not easily fixed. It's about culture, it's about systems. It's not about just, oh, get rid of the police chief and everything's gonna be fine. Um, what they want to do and what the end, the goal is of the federal government is to create a safe system for everyone so how do you go about doing that you work with that system is generally how they first start and there has been that cooperative wanting to do things better um, coming from Ferguson so I think they're still kind of in that level of it eventually though because they have found that those problems are so widespread and again patterns and practices once they find that that gives the federal government leeway to go in and basically take over, you know, and make some real changes to force it. And that's the consent decrees. Um, right. And that's a whole other issue of how those work and
2: what or will Or don't it work.
1: How do you charge? You know, and who do you hold accountable? It, you know, people always love the buck stops here sort of verbiage and by God look you know somebody's gotta to go to jail, that kind of thing. But the problem with that is that systems are systems. They operate at a lot of different levels. You know, they've already the police chief is gone. They're trying to get rid of the mayor. You know, there's going to be you know an election coming up. What's gonna happen? But there's you know, nothing the missing. Yeah, but what are the penalties?
0: Yeah, well, where, where, means, are the, where are I the are the real penalties? Fine,
1: there can be all kinds of things. I don't, you know, the thing is, it's not over yet. Okay, that's the deal. It's not over yet.
2: But um, isn't Tom Jackson if, free
3: to go? Have-
0: become a police officer somewhere else. He's not fighting, he's not facing any criminal charges and uh, this goes to the process you know, you talked about the consent decrees and we've certainly seen those with police departments all over the country, but it hasn't led to any change in the pattern and practices. So I, I take the position that without criminal penalties, we never will, uh, see any real changes to the pattern and practice. Since we saw Jennings Police Department down the street from Ferguson shut down, it totally shut down, started over. Yeah. And, and so, you know, it's still going on. So I, I mean, <laughs> we're just trying to search for some solutions. And I think that. Allowing people to simply retire Or resign And not face any criminal penalties For federal statutory violations And violating people's You know civil rights um That's no deterrent Of just letting people
1: retire Yeah Well I guess to you know, that's the case it, it may still be made You know you have to make it against the individual though.
0: Right right so if you think that smart, could be Going on right it now
1: It's different yeah, it's kind of a difference. What do you do? Do you throw a city in jail? Well, oh, you, you put the So How do you do it? Yeah, well, that, what is, That's what yeah. consent decrees are. They essentially throw the city in jail. And everyone who's in charge, it takes away their power. It may not be as feel-good of a thing as seeing, you know, the top three people hauled off to jail, but I think really ultimately it is where you get change. It really is. Because you have to change that system. You can't just change... The little people like Legos in and out of it. You've got to change the entire system, which means shut it down, break it down, figure it out. And we're at only, we're really only at the beginning of that process. And you're very right to question, can it be done? I mean, even with LA, there's a huge report of looking at what changed, what didn't, and why.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: they're, you know, they're complicated reasons. I mean, we didn't get here overnight. So, you know, you're not going to fix it overnight. We're dealing with long historical timelines that reach all the way back, quite honestly, to slavery, you know, attitudes and things and how systems were formed. It's, it's huge, it's huge, which is why it's fantastic that you and your listeners are engaged in it. I mean, that's what it's going to take.
0: Now, I want to change gears for a minute. A minute because public perception, and that's what we've been talking about, you know, uh, interwoven in this conversation about public perception in the right wing media, um, you know, has been feeding, I feel like a lot of disinformation, uh, about the seriousness of, of, you know, the crimes laid out in the Ferguson report. And you wrote about that a couple of weeks ago. Why do you, why did you feel like it was important? To write about what the right wing people like Rush Limbaugh are saying about Ferguson. What kind of impact are they having on the national conversation?
1: Well, unfortunately, I think they do have an impact. Okay. I mean, people hear what they want to hear. You know, there's a, a lot of it is very anti-Obama, anti-Eric Holder, and I'm sorry, but a lot of that also boils down to race. You know, if we didn't have a black president and hadn't had a black attorney general, some of those charges I don't think you would have heard. I mean, it's all just a convenient little argument. And unfortunately, it takes people away from really understanding and looking at these issues deeper. There's a great piece I need to find. Actually, somebody sent me that Mm -hmm. was posted on a um, conservative website where a guy had said... Listen up, people. You need to read this report. And he admits that he went in. Something red state, something red state conservative. I can look it up and send it. To Probably
0: redstate dot com.
1: Um, it well, it was interesting because the guy basically admitted. Listen, I've been listening to all the verbiage of more of the right wing. That's kind of where my heart and soul wanted to believe. But I went down and actually read the report. And he goes in and he says, you know. Here's how I tried to discount this, this, and this. But the net of it, he was mortified. Because he actually did the work and said, This is why people are angry. I get it. It's a really big piece. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, it's a 102-page report. Most people aren't going to take the time to read it and to really nuance through it and figure out, Whoa, this is what this is saying and to bleed themselves away from their own, you know, perceptions or even possibly their own experiences. You know, I mean, face it, if you grew up upper middle class as a white man in America, you may not have ever been unfairly stopped or felt that you were unfairly stopped or treated by a police officer. It's a different experience. So getting people to understand that what occurs in their lives may not necessarily be what's occurring in other people's lives and it may not be those people's problems, you know, their fault that they live, that their lives are treated differently, that's a whole huge other step. But you're only going to get there if people start thinking and they go beyond just the blather that they might hear on a certain radio station that seems to feed what they want to believe as opposed to what is a real truth or what might
0: make them think a little deeper. On the other side, we need to take a short station identification break. And on the other side, um I wanna talk a little bit more about, you know, that last statement that you just made. And um but I wanna let the listeners know, you know, if you have a question or comment just give us a call at at five three zero eight eight one fourteen hundred. The participant code is five four nine zero three two pound for those already dialed in listening on their phones, just hit star six and one and you will be able to ask your question. We'll take this station identification break and then we will continue our conversation with Miss Sanchez. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio network for podcasts and live program scheduling. Visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Now, speaking of the right-wing media, some of the things that's been um, said, uh, Breitbart, uh, MediaMatters.org, MediaMatters.org is sort of like a watchdog group for uh, right-wing politics and media, Uh, particularly and they put together you could just go to their website and put Ferguson in and you could find all their reports of what the right wing has been saying you know about Ferguson and you know something you have written in your piece Miss Sanchez um here is direct evidence of it, and they are quoting Breitbart uh, dot com. Uh, shooting of police officers in Ferguson were incited by Holder and Obama was their headline, and this is what he wrote. This is what uh, Joel Pollock wrote on Breitbart dot com. The violence is the direct result of incitement. By the federal government on the basis of trumped up accusations based on the faulty notion that a city that enforces traffic tickets vigorously as a means of raising revenue is inherently racist. By that standard, my own ultra progressive town of Santa Monica, California, would be akin to Ku Klux Klan headquarters and um, this was published on March the twelfth of just last month, a couple of weeks ago um uh, racist emails discovered from a few employees implicated those individual, individuals alone. But Obama and Holder wanted more. They and serial inciter Al Sharpton wanted the humiliation of the town, wanted the division of America, wanted it to be clear that white public officials could never represent a black population, wanted middle America to know that the federal government could nullify self-government at a whim. And that's just an excerpt uh from his article where he's telling their listeners or readers that Uh, Obama and Ferguson are to blame for the shooting of these police officers. And and, and you talked about that in your piece.
1: Yeah, it's just... I mean, it's simplistic thinking, and it's wanting to find a scapegoat. And in certain people's heads, that scapegoat is always going to be Obama or Holder. And it's just... It's ridiculous. It's very... It's simpleton thinking. You know, and it totally is a way to just discount that whole report. It is not about... Just a couple officers Who are writing too many tickets You know it's not about that It's not about just a few officers Who maybe push the envelope a little bit It's about an entire system And nowhere in that piece Does it acknowledge That there's an entire system That has a problem Whether let's just blame a few people Mm -hmm. Or you know And it's a way to discount the anger Of Ferguson It's a way to say those people don't have any reason to be angry. And it's all because of those other higher-ups, because of Obama and Holder. They're the ones that got those people riled up. It's a very those people sort of distancing. And it, it's offensive, quite honestly, because Ferguson has darn good reason to be angry. Now, you can argue about how it was portrayed, how some of that was done, I mean, I think personally, the looting was ridiculous. You know, I have a close friend from here, a minister, who spent, I mean, months down there after the shooting and did a lot of organizing, a lot of work with people. The vast majority of the protesters were there just exhibiting their civil rights to speak out. They were not causing problems in terms of shutting down highways or anything or You know, there might have been some civil disobedience, but not looting, not taking someone else's property. The vast majority were like that. But yet, to some mindsets, they want to only see people who are more easily discounted. Like, perhaps, you know, if the young man actually did shoot into that crowd and hit those officers, sorry, but that's a crime. You know, you can't take a gun and just shoot. You just can't. I don't care who you think you are. You can't, and that needs to be called out as well. If if the evidence later does prove that that's what he did, yeah, that's a crime. But But don't you feel like that that
0: that is? Don't you feel like that? But that's
1: one person. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And he needs to pay for whatever he did if he did do it.
0: But the way the right wing is portraying it, though,
1: it's not because. He wasn't forced because of anything Obama said or did. Right. You know, I mean, come on. That to me that's just a way to discount and to step around what is really the bigger, larger problem.
0: Now here. now you said this is a simplistic way, the way this writer wrote about it. You know, this this is simple minded, you know, you kinda suggested for him to write about it, but you on before the break had said, you know, this writer on Red State wrote a really good article where he actually took the time to do the research and read the report, which, like you correctly stated, most people aren't going to read the report for themselves. But I feel like, I guess, what I'm asking is, I don't feel like that this is like just some simple-minded person writing an article who's just trying to take a series of events and just simplify it to fit. I, I think it's purposely being written this way. It's, it's, oh
1: yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, there's a. I'm not saying that. Here's the thing. It's not saying. It's a simple approach in that it takes a very, it's this side is all right and this side is all wrong. I mean, the whole thing that was awful was that, and I I don't know if it's in that column, I've written it in others, but the idea that you can't believe that black lives as well as blue lives matter. Why can't we honor both? And the simple part of it is trying to choose that one side over the other. As if there aren't good police officers. There are. I work with them day in and day out. I know police officers who are mortified at what had went on in Ferguson. And, you know, I mean, and that they really recognize right away, oh, my God, those are officers that do not have good training. I mean, you know, doesn't it go beyond the training, though, honestly? Famous. Yeah, it's just simple. Like, can't, you know, why can't we value police and community? That's where you get strong community. You don't have to
0: choose, but Miss Sanchez, but that, I, I some heard of the
1: writing does tend to lean that way. It's yeah. like they want people to choose sides. They never get problems solved that way.
0: Right, right. But let, let me go, to, uh, and we're getting ready to wrap up your segment. And again, I want to thank you for taking the time out to join us today. Um, but I just want want to. Um, address something that you just said about the training you you said some of these other officers saying you know this is poor training and they're mortified and what not and we keep hearing that you know poor training we just heard that on the report about Philadelphia Department of Justice did a, yeah. a, a thing on Philadelphia poor training poor training but you know like myself and my mom had a conversation about this this come on now I don't need training to train me on how to treat human beings like human beings
1: You would think so, but here, I mean, do a ride along with officers. They do have to deal with an awful lot. I know. Right. Ultimately, a good officers will tell you that good officers. But I view as good officers. They will talk a lot about really recognizing, you know, even when they enter someone's home, you are entering someone's home, and say they've been they entered a home even on, say, a domestic violence call, on some call of you know, suicide or whatever, if they check themselves and go in first with a humanity view, that can alter situations. That's where officers do their best work in terms of de-escalating situations when possible, as opposed to escalating something to where violence does occur. I mean, oftentimes, you know, police officers get shot. They get shot with their own guns in struggles. I mean, it's too there benefit as well as the communities to take that more human approach when when feasible. I mean, I realize that they also do deal with criminal populations who aren't exactly wanting to be seen as someone that they want to work with. I mean, it's, you know, and how do you choose? How do you decide? That's where you get into the profiling issues.
0: Well, again, I want to thank you for joining us today. Is there how can people keep up with you? I I know you said you're syndicated, so should they follow you on Twitter, Miss um, Sanchez? How how can people uh, follow the work that you do? You've been writing a lot about these issues, and so would you please inform people on how they can do that?
1: Oh, sure. Yeah, I, I put everything to the Twitter, and as long as a lot of other things too. It's uh, just msanchez Sanchez at. Um, M. Sanchez column it's m for mary then s-a-n-c-h-e-z at column or at m. Sanchez column sorry and then cancer will also have everything posted there that i write um if you just go under my name on the cancity.com website that posts everything even from the tribune syndicate
2: um
1: and just all the work and there's a lot i mean if you just google under ferguson there's been multiple, multiple articles, and as we've kind of covered, there's many more things to say about this. And
0: yes, it the is. The story's not done well.
1: So.
0: Well, again, I want want to thank you, and I want to wish you to have a good day, and we hope to have you back sometime. I just followed you on Twitter, so um, I'm following you now, and uh, so we hope to have you back at, at another time.
1: Okay, great. No, I'd enjoy that. Thank oh, you so
0: much. All right. You have a great day. You too. Bye. Okay, that was Miss Mary uh, Sanchez, syndicated columnist who has written a lot about Ferguson. Um, the last article that, well, not the last article, but the one that caught my eye was her writing about what the right wing media uh, was doing. And so, again, to share some of those headlines with you, again, you go to MediaMatters.org. I'm gonna, just in the interest of full disclosure. Um, it is a liberal website it is you know they support the democratic machine and there are things I have seen on this website that I would view as being uh, incorrect and in promoting injustice especially in terms of Libya and, and, and other uh, things like that so they are a left wing organization and their interest is in seeing democrats succeed and, and their whole purpose is to portray the right wing in the worst light possible but again, it's not like they have to work very hard because people like Rush Limbaugh, like, um, um, and Coulter, like Sean Hatt, they make it so easy. So this is, uh, it's still a great, I guess what I'm saying, despite its political bias, it is still a good intelligence source for gathering information on, uh, what the right wing is talking about and what they're proposing and how they're portraying things. And so here was Ann Coulter. Uh, she was on Fox News or on O'Reilly show. I think it was a city host. But how they are using the language to, again, blame Obama and blame Eric Holder for Ferguson and, and talking about their escalating the situation. So here, here's that clip.
3: Tonight, the fallout from the Ferguson police shootings and email gate. Let's bring in one of my favorite authors and commentators out there anywhere, Ann Coulter, and welcome first let's start with ferguson your thoughts on the latest in ferguson well, I think the whole thing was brought about by Obama and Holder, turning a self-defense shooting by a cop in this small town into another 9-11. They had 45 FBI agents investigating. And what began as, you know, a brutal assassination murder of of, of, of Mike Brown, um, a black teenager, after all of these investigations, to a massive grand jury investigation, even Eric Holder's Justice Department... All they come up with is, well, yes, he was, Darren Wilson, Officer Darren Wilson was completely in the right. He was being charged. The witnesses who said that, 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 uh, um, Big Mike was, had his hands up. We're lying. We're completely full of it. Um, this is all from Eric Holder's report, um, but they stopped too many blacks in traffic violations. Uh, try to find a city, any municipality in America, where blacks are not stopped more uh, for, than than whites are. I mean, you'll remember Michael Bloomberg in in New York defending the stop and frisk policy, saying, mm-hmm. "Look, if you look at the arrest rec- rates." Blacks have a much higher arrest rate, they have a much higher crime rate, and liberals may not want to admit that, but if you're going to play these games with statistics, that happens to be very important. Michael Bloomberg said, if anything, we're not arresting enough, enough white people, and as Steve Saylor pointed out on his blog, he started comparing white and black arrest records in various left-wing places like Santa Monica. The black arrest rate in Santa Monica is three times as high as the black arrest rate in Ferguson. Right
0: okay so lots of disinformation there uh ann coulter is infamous for her racism and um spreading misinformation so eric Holder again johannan was talking about this uh earlier on the abolitionist daily uh eric Holder and them did not exonerate darren wilson they did not say witnesses lie well Eric Holder said the bar is just too high to prove this and i again remember my father telling me over a decade ago we were talking about politics and talking about Ronald Reagan and he was saying just how how republicans and and Reagan and them had made it just very very difficult to prove racism on the job and, and federally and so that's what Eric Holder said. Eric Holder did not say that these people were lying or anything like that. We had several independent uh witnesses, including a white male who was uh, uh working in the area who we saw on video. His immediate reaction was to throw up his hand. So again, these people just lie. They changed the narrative. Like Hitler said, if you, if you tell a big enough lie, the people will believe it and, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people that that take in this sort of media who are fans of the Fox News Network are some of the most misinformed in the world because you have people like Ann Coulter who come on and blatantly lie about things. Just lie about things because, again, like our guest, Miss Sanchez said, most people and I probably would I, I probably could safely say that most of the people listening right now y'all have not read the report. Y'all have heard myself, y'all have heard uh, Johanny, y'all have heard Max Parthas, you've heard probably others writing about the report, you know lots of independent black media out there but y'all have relied on us to give you the information and that's not a bad thing, that's what we're here for that's why people donate to the Black Talk Media Project because you don't have time to do that research but again you know uh, most of the people Will not read this hundred one hundred and two 102 page report. I bet you Ann Coulter, Russell Limbaugh, none of them have read that report. They just come up with their talking points. That's not based on any facts whatsoever. And, and so Ann Coulter, you know, the read her excuse for why black people get arrested more. See, she even lied about that. They are stopped more and certainly they are arrested more. But it's not because they are committing more crime. That was her insinuation. We look at Ferguson, their own data, their statistics show that they will have a higher hit rate. Hit rate meaning we will find drugs on you or or some criminal code violation. They were finding it had higher hit rates when they stopped white people the way that they do, you know, driving while white. They relied on actual policing, and when they did, they got higher hit rates on the white community. Same with New York. She wants to mention stop and frisk. See again, these people claim to love America so much they use the American flag in their constant—I mean—in their graphics on television and support the troops and this and that. And you know, they when when it comes to violations. Of people's constitutional rights, quote unquote, so-called American citizens. Oh, nothing happened. Oh, the Justice Department is lying. This is all racism. This is all based on racism and white supremacy. And and I took note that our guest, Miss Sanchez, said that these institutions go back to the days of slavery, and their mission has never changed. Does that does does that mean that every individual police officer is a crook and a criminal and and a no, it doesn't mean that. But policing itself has its roots in what the oppression of black people to lock people up and certainly we've seen the increase so i don't i I just don't know how i could say that I i mean let me put it this way i was in the united states military i came to the realization that the united states military exists to oppress people globally to enforce u.s hedge money across the world by force of arms And certainly it has been engaged in more wars than any. And I came to the conscious decision that I could not be part of an organization like that. I'm going to finish up my time that I signed my contract for and I'm out. I'm out the door. Because I consciously cannot justify me doing this work in helping to set up tactical communication so that different, you know, units and battalions can talk to each other and coordinate with each other, coordinate their attacks and stuff like that. I'm playing a role in that. I'm not out there shooting anybody, but I'm making uh, communications available for those out there doing the shooting so they can coordinate with each other. So I'm participating and I just couldn't do that. So I got out. It took me six years to come to that realization, but I came to that realization. So to me, you know, when you recognize that an institution, an organization, whatever, whether it be a police department, whether it be the U.S. military, and it's engaged in things that violates other people's human rights, violates their constitutional rights, I just don't see how a good person can want to be a part of that and we certainly know you are not going to change it from within because this has happened over and over and over, we have many many decades we have in fact hundreds of years going back to the creation of the first police department and without prosecutions and without people going to prison there is no deterrent. so I don't expect things to change We can revisit Ferguson in 10 years and see, and we'll be able to see a whole new pattern and practice emerge of the same old pattern and practice based on racism. It is always important to take the historical view. When we look at these problems today, we gotta take the long view. And, And like Ms. Sanchez said, this isn't gonna be fixed overnight. You don't fix slavery overnight. You don't reform slave catchers overnight. The institution of slave catching, you don't do it overnight. It doesn't happen. There must be great sacrifice. There must be organization. Again, we saw the Jennings Police Department in Jennings, Missouri, get shut down. Darren Wilson worked there. He can tell you about it. Got shut down because of Racist Patterns and Practices. They start a new one. And guess what? They still involved in the same racist patterns and practices. They were part of the different cities that were working together to jail black people on fines. I remember seeing one of the reports where this woman first was charged. It was on a a ticket or something. And they locked her up and said, you pay $500. And I'm, I'm just... I don't know if these are the real figures or not, but just to give you an example, you pay $500, you can get out of jail. So she's scraping up the money, her family, friends, scraping up the money. They go to pay it. Oh, she's been transferred to this jail over here in this city. Now you go over there. We just paid the money in Ferguson. What? Why we got to come up with more money? All right, we we're gonna come up with more money. Go do the same thing. Oh, what? They've been transferred to the Jen- Jennings jail. So I just think that I think that the people most responsible for these patterns and practices are the ones who lead these police departments. They are the decision makers, the Joe Arapayos need to be put in prison so that there will be a deterrent for this sort of crime. As long as they are allowed to retire with their pensions intact. long as they resign they are still free to go join another police department and we've seen that over and over and over and over Cleveland the shooting of Tamir Rice that's a perfect example of a cop being fired from a police department and he just goes and joins another police department looking for some action as Timothy Loman's father Fred Loman said about his son he was looking for action he was looking for the big city police and he was so excited to get his first kill that he jumped from a moving vehicle. Probably fired the shot before his feet hit the ground and shot a 12-year-old child. Then often when they do go to prison, they they do a couple of months, a couple of years while we are sentencing people they are sentencing people to life in prison for having a little bit of crack cocaine we need change in this in this, uh, in this world and that kind of is a good segue here in just about three minutes we will be joined by Mr. Chet Six and we want to talk about is there a paradigm shift occurring Because from where I sit, the job that I do in getting on these airways and writing and talking about these war reports and what's going on, things look pretty bleak for black people, especially not just in this country, but globally. So we'll be talking to him about a book he's working on above and beyond all that we know how to thrive and succeed in the current world paradigm shift. Um, let me see. Do we have any, um, announcements that I need to get out? Oh, yes. Um, please check the profiles of political prisoner radio on Facebook. Um, uh, you can also look me up on Facebook, Scotty Reed. I'm in North Carolina. You'll find me because you'll see stuff about the program. And look for the post where I posted again about Mumia Abu-Jamal. The last report I got was that he has been sent back to the prison, even though his medical condition has worsened. From medical malpractice in the treatment of his diabetes so they are still asking that people make those phone calls. Please uh again I posted this information to Political Prisoner Radio because Momia is a political prisoner. And so keep Momia in your prayers, in your positive thoughts, that he will recover from uh this problem with diabetes. To be honest with you, the brother could could be dead already. We don't know. And that's why it's important that we make these phone calls. Going to take another station identification break. We should be joined here shortly by uh, Mr. Sisk. Again, we're looking forward to speaking with him. You're listening to Black Talk Radio News. My name, of course, is Scotty Reed. Glad that you could join us today. Again, if you ever have any questions, any comments you would like to get out on air, you can give us a call at 530-881-1400. The access code is 549-032-POUND. Then hit star six and one, and we will uh, bring you in. We're going to take a short station identification break, and then when we come back, we we will be speaking with Mr. Chet Sisk.
4: Time for an Awakening Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network. Speaking in behalf of Black Talk Media Project's 2015 fundraiser, since 2008 the Black Talk Media Project, which has created Black Talk Radio Network, has engaged in producing original content from a black perspective for the global black community. You can help us continue this mission and help us even more. By giving donations to the Black Talk Media Project's 2015 fundraiser and asking others to do so also. Let us work together to make 2015 a stronger year for independent black media. Again, this is Elliot Booker of Time for Awakening Radio program on the Black Talk Radio.
0: And welcome back to Black Talk Radio news. My name, of course, is Scotty Reed. Again, today's date is April the 2nd, 2015. It is just about one minute after the hour, 5 o'clock p.m. For those here on the East Coast, we do recognize that we have global listeners. And, um you know, we certainly appreciate you tuning in to the network and, and just telling people about us and helping us grow as a independent source of black Media, all right, we do have our guest on the line. I want to uh introduce to you listeners who may not have heard him uh the last time he was on the program, which was about two years ago, so that's been a long time so uh we do want to welcome author and educator Mr. Chet W. sis on the line. Do we have you, sir?
4: Yes, can you hear me?
0: Yes, we can hear you coming in okay live very clear. good I'm, I'm <laughs> i
4: i'm i want to apologize I think I was Sniffling a little bit. I have terrible hay fever, so I'm battling a little bit. <laughs> I hope I didn't offend your audience.
0: <laughs> I don't think they heard you, as I had you muted as we were <laughs> <laughs> okay. doing that break.
4: Okay, that's good. Okay. So, All right.
2: How are you, Scotty?
4: Um,
0: I'm doing well as can be expected. So, yes, there's a lot of people doing a lot worse than me, so I like to look at it that way.
4: Okay. Thank you. Yes, that's a very good. That's a, great way of perspective but i can tell you that you know from my particular point of view i think we're all about to do a lot better but we're going to have to choose to do better you know what i mean
0: yes i know what you mean uh, there's a choice you know um often we talk about the we just got through interviewing a, a, a syndicated columnist miss uh mary sanchez and she was just writing about uh and talking about what we saw go on in Ferguson and talking about, you know, racist patterns and practices. And uh, some of the things I've been thinking about, you know, here recently in terms of these racist systems is that these systems have individuals in place. The system doesn't run itself. It requires individuals to be his eyes, to be his mouth, to be his hands, to be his feet. So, so I'm like, okay, if we want to end racism, white supremacy, if we want to end injustice, we just need people to not participate in that kind of sort of thing okay. that's the best way yes. to collapse it don't participate
4: thank you that is so true and you're surprised that the simplicity of that logic is so obvious but at the same time it it scares people because of its simplicity you know they think that there's got to be a cabal behind it and, and it probably is but even with a cabal behind it you still have the option of a choice mm-hmm. and that's and that's that's really it's it, it really for me it's all about us taking a power back. It really comes down to the place of who do you want to be when you grow up? Do you want to be the person that is constantly talking about what is being done to them or the person who says this is what I'm doing So it''s it's, it's always that choice. we're always presented with that choice. That's why even in the middle of, of, of in the middle of madness, you still have the opportunity to make a decision for opportunity, for opportunity. <laughs> Without sounding redundant. <laughs> but that, that, to me, that's what it's all about. It, it's how are we seeing this? Because look, Scotty, here's the deal. How long have we been, how long have we been cycling around in this space? Been cycling around for the past 400 years. So, from my particular perspective, I'm thinking, I think we have all the evidence that we need to know that we can do something else other than this mm-hmm. so we don't so if we're sitting around going you know if we're still talking about the same things that we did 400 years ago this is unfair this is not doing us well and it's treating us unfairly and we're still doing that after 400 years it either it means we have embraced our victimhood and now it becomes like a, a way that we approach life or we just feel that there are no other options and then that's when we basically give our power over to someone else we've basically resigned we are now complicit to our own victimization and that's not blaming the victim and want anybody to get that get that twisted we're not talking about blaming the victim we're talking about regaining our power getting your power back it's like if someone did you really wrong and you know why, what we used to talk about in class was the whole aspect of forgiveness now people think that forgiveness is letting people off the hook if they do something terrible to you but really forgiveness is how can I get that part of my life back as opposed to assign it and give it over to somebody else where they own that aspect of me they own my life they own my thoughts, my memories my entire life is based around how I respond to what they do to me So, in a sense, forgiveness is basically your opportunity to say, you cannot have the rest of me. I'm going to take that part of my life back, and I'm going to do something else. That's a tough conversation for us only because of the fact that we've kind of codified the victim thing. We've done it because it's not our imagination. It has happened. It is going on. That's not an imagination. But the key is our response to it our response can either be we're going to continue to, to live in this space so that we will be forever victims or we will say there is something else we can do. And that's why I wrote this book. Chad, um, I, I, I want
0: Mary- Ch- to yep. back up for a minute uh, because it yep. also yep. coincides, something you said coincides with current events and, and you know, um, common and you know, it's just unfortunate that um, i 'm bringing up a pop culture reference, but unfortunately okay. they do that industry does have a lot of power in in yeah, you sure. know uh creating perception and things and so common uh, has been criticized by many people uh, for saying that you know if we want uh certain people white people to stop mistreating us, we must love them, we must reach out our hands and love to them and and then you know they will stop. You know, and, and so <clears throat> now he has, um, been canceled. He was supposed to be the schedule, uh, um, uh, what do they call the speaker, the keynote speaker for a graduation, a commencement. Uh he was supposed mm-hmm. to give the commencement speech. And so yep. the police said they don't like common because he made a song, I don't know when he made this song about Asada Shakur and talking about Asada Shakur in a positive light. So the local police union got together and said, yep. We don't want him to speak because he <laughs> said this about Asada Shakur and she's a cop killer. And so this university disinvited him and i was just thinking you know how's that for reaching out your hand in love common
4: yeah and let me just say this i love coming i love what he does i love where he stands in a lot of different places we don't agree on all, on all things such as the whole aspect of love he's right that our first step always is to is to move forward in love now here's the other part of that it can't be just about loving other folks you're you can't give what you don't have, so the love has to start at home. If there is love here, the love out there will come naturally. Do you understand what I mean?
0: You mean that love one, yourself?
4: Yes. When when we, I I I believe our big focus is to be loved, then you can love others. But to love others first is 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 putting the cart in front of the horse because you truly can't give what you don't have. You don't know what love looks like unless you know know it internally. And then you're able to show that love to others who look like you or like you, or family-wise. Then you can give that love out there. It becomes much easier to do that. If anything else, in my particular opinion, is a kind of, um, it's a codependency. It's it's not real. It's 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 like a you know instead of smiling, you're grinning. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that you're doing to try to look like you are, but it's not real. So the love, he's right that love is the answer. Uh, there, there's no substitute for love, but that love must start at home and start inside. It must be an internal job, an inside job. Then it becomes external. Then you can give love truly and fully, and not just love like a nice feeling, but love is power. Love is intention. Love is clarity. Love gives you the power to be able to step into something with a with less uh, fearfulness because you have a courage because love provides that level of courage. So he, he's right, but he, he's only telling part of the story.
0: I mean, but th- there's also a second party in that and in, in all of that, yeah. that outcome is dependent upon because Frank, frankly, Chet, brother Chet, mm-hmm. I, I, yes. I said to what he said about, you know, reaching out your hand in love. And I said, well, that's what I view all of these people out in the street with their hands up. Don't shoot they're coming in wow. love and saying I'm non-threatening I'm I'm not a danger to you I'm putting my right. hands up stop killing me so to me that was an expression of love
4: yeah. and you're right it was an expression of love I, I, my, if I had to lean on the side of love I would live lean on a different kind of expression of love okay. and that different kind of expression means first it, 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 there has to be kind of a personal transformation because I think there's a lot of there's a lack of that kind of love internally, uh, particularly in our community, but in humankind of in general, but particularly with us because we've been brainwashing through the space for the past 400 years. Mm-hmm. So that the next intention of that love, the manifestation of that love, has to be what am I going to do going forward in order to change my environment. And to me, that doesn't necessarily mean going to people and saying, hands up, don't, don't shoot. Mm-hmm. To me, that means okay. I understand the terrain that I'm in. Mm-hmm. How do I create another kind of terrain, even in the face of all of my dangers, even in? The face How do of I create all a all safe space? Who, yes, it, it, even if there's resistance to that, that resistance doesn't got doesn't. It can't keep us from saying. I must become more innovative and more creative in order to create something that is best for me. And to me, I don't think that we've even explored that space. We're exploring the space in, I'm going to show them love, and I hope that they will respond accordingly. And in my opinion, that's not necessarily love. Love doesn't mean I'm going to do this, and I hope you respond accordingly. Love mm-hmm. says, I, I am grounded in the aspect of love, Nothing can take that from me. Nothing can change that, and, and I'm moving in forward with intention, with that love, whether you respond the way that I'd like or not. Because if you're depending upon them to respond in kind, in the sense, what you have created is codependency. Love is independent of what, uh, uh, how others respond. It's like being in a relationship. Uh, a friend of mine used to say this all the time. He said, if you ever want guaranteed love in a relationship, bring it. If you're waiting for others to bring it, you will be disappointed. But if you bring it, love is guaranteed because you're in it. You show up. So to me, one of the greatest things that we can do is show up in love just at home in, in what we do. And then we'll figure out how to respond if people don't, um, you know, respond in kind. Mm-hmm. and that's usually a lot of times the case people don't respond necessarily in kind but again if we're waiting for other people to respond in kind to, to respond the way that we'd like more, many of us are going to be waiting for a long time
2: there are folks
4: right now walking down the street talking about well once they act right my life will be better mm-hmm. independently you know just one on one person one on one doing it with uh, somebody in the, in their they're in a relationship, right? yeah, relationship if you're waiting for them to do the right thing in order for you to be happy, mm-hmm. you're going to be miserable the rest of your life because mm-hmm. all of your validation is based outside of you. It's mm-hmm. dependent upon somebody else's actions for you to be grounded in love. And that's, to me, a recipe for disaster.
0: Let, let me revisit some things and I do wanna let the listeners know and, and Chet I, I, I we are going to get to your book, but I just wanna hash out okay. some of these things first and, and lay okay. some uh some foundation. But I do wanna let the listeners know. If you have a question for our guest, Mr. Chet W. Sisk, uh you can give us a call, five three zero eight eight one fourteen hundred. The access code is five four nine zero three two zero three two pound, and you just hit Star Six and wanna come in on air. Um, I do see those who are dialed in. Um, just follow those directions if you want to, uh, ask Mr. Sis, our guest, uh, a question. Now, I, w- I want to go back though to some, something you said, um, earlier. Um, and you have acknowledged that you aren't victim blaming and we've been trapped in, in, yeah. you know, this space for 400 years and, and, and whatnot. But there have been responses from the black community, uh, um, that I felt like displayed self-respect and, and therefore love love of oneself yeah. and we've seen yeah. those arise throughout the, the 400 year history that we're talking about of uh, black mistreatment on this con- continent Uh but when I've seen for example let's use the Black Panther Party for an example nothing okay. tells me that you love me more than feeding my children which they you know did uh feeding me cuz they had food survival programs and food right. pantries um taking care of my medical needs cuz they had free medical you know clinics that they were setting exactly. up in, in the community and mm-hmm. you know we're going to to Uh, patrol our communities to protect our community from these racist police. We're not just gonna let them come in the community. To me, that was an expression of love, a great expression of love. But even though that's all, all the things that they were engaged in were Mm -hmm. righteous, okay, feeding people, Mm -hmm. healing people, protecting people, we saw the viciousness that this government looked at that as a threat. Even J. Edgar Hoover said that you know that they are the number one threat to the internal security of America. Not cause yeah. they out here committing acts of terrorism or anything. No, they feeding children, and then these black yeah. people might listen to them. So when we have had, and, and it's certainly I, I don't want it to, to to anybody get the impression to think that the Black Panther Party is the only time in our history that we have come together you know to create a safe space a prosperous space for ourselves but each time they that has been met with violence and destruction from people who I say you know in context of this conversation are without love for us
4: yes yes and let me just say you're you' um I, I thought that was brilliant you're exactly right. Panther Party was a full expression of love because it wasn't dependent upon anything outside of us in order to feed our children, educate our people, provide food and protection. That's what love is. Love says, you know what, I can do this and that love is not outside of me. It is here. It's inside of me. All I have to do is find the expression of it. And the Black Panther Party did find that. Now, the difference that we live in now, Mm -hmm. the world that we live in now, is that the players and the the technique and the structures have changed so dramatically, even from the Panther days, mm-hmm. that if we sought other ways of what that love could look like, we would see a wide, gigantic field of possibilities that didn't even exist just a few years ago. So if we want to express that level of love, like how do we... Uh, take care of our our children and and feed them and and connect with other people in the world, there are mechanisms now, particularly the internet, particularly just a lot of the technology, and I don't want to make this about a technology thing, but our level of consciousness is is big enough where we can think in a bigger, vaster way about love and its expression. And I don't want to speak too symbolically to, to folks, but I'm the the reason, the purpose of the book that I just wrote is to say that the terrain has changed so dramatically that even if you got discouraged about what you're seeing around you, and it you know and you know of course we've all been brought up into the thing about you know how we've been mistreated, even with all of those things, there are levels of opportunities and possibilities that exist now that we've never seen before, above and beyond anything that we've ever known. And so I say to the people who live in love and live in that level of power and intention and clarity that now is your time. So instead of uh, we can use what the Panthers did or what Dr. King did or what Malcolm did or Delaney or anybody else, we can use those as platforms for what we know, you know, the context. But they may not apply. Those tools and rules may not apply now. Or That's need to be refined. Different. What's that again?
0: Or be refined, retooled. Or, or,
4: yes, yes, exactly. Because the terrain is so dramatically different. And I, I, I hate to see it sometimes, that we're still using tools out of the 60s. Mm-hmm. And here we are in 2015.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And and, and my, my desire more than anything is for us to see a bigger, greater, more powerful world than than we could have ever imagined. And so now the application of, the, of, of those uh, of that love that you and I spoke of, what you brilliantly assessed, can be applied completely differently. And we don't, and yeah, J. Edgar Hoover was a psychopath. I mean, that's just, that was confirmed, and that's just the way it worked. You're always going to have psychopaths out there trying to keep you from doing that, but you have more tools, more arsenal at your disposal now than any other time and known human history, and we don't want to miss that mark, mm-hmm. you know, waiting for other people to act right, or waiting for somebody to be the, quote, next king, or to do to, to, to use methods that don't apply, that may not apply in 2015. This is a different world. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but the name of the book is Above and Beyond All That We Know, How to Thrive and Succeed in the Current World, Paradigm Shift. So I, I you know, had looked up some information about that. Um, I'm on your website. I believe this is your website, coleeinternational.org.
4: That is. That is the one, yes. It, um, yes, the, the website is, all, is based around what is the new Paradigm Shift and the conference that we're bringing to Denver, in October of this year. And it's all basically about the idea of recognizing, A, that the world is in the middle of this gigantic paradigm shift. It's huge. It's, 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 it, and it's so funny that you would not even believe that it's happening because you're not getting it on CNN or Fox News if you're, if you're crazy enough to watch Fox News. You're not getting it anywhere because of the fact that there's people have a vested interest in maintaining the status quo. They want you cycling around talking about racism and how people don't treat us right. They want to reduce racism to um, really a conversation that's focused on how do we make each other feel better about each other. But that's not racism. That may deal with your personal prejudices and such like that and help people to get together and sing Kumbaya and hold hands. But that's not really what we're, what's going on because there are systems in place to maintain the madness. Right. So we might be able to feel good for the second, you know, for the time but that's not really what's but as long as you're cycling around in that conversation, you're not having the bigger conversation and that is how do we create something else? Mm -hmm. That's the bigger conversation that's the Mm -hmm. best conversation and that's the most powerful conversation. How do we end slavery?
0: How do we yeah.
4: Well, it's first of all I, I want to quote something that there was an organization by the name of the, there is an organization by the name of the NIC it's the National Intelligence Council okay you know what the, you know who these guys are
0: um I don't think I've heard of them before but I can imagine there's some think tank that um, <laughs> gathers intelligence on things global events
4: that's exactly right so they put together a a trend report a couple of years ago and basically, the quote is, I'm, I'm paraphrasing only ever so slightly. They said, in the next by 2030, 2030. That's 15 years from now. Okay. The world, the world will become much more democratized. Power or leadership will be even more evenly dispersed throughout the world. Uh, middle classes all around the world will rise. Poverty. Uh, for the first time in the history uh, recorded human history that there will be less poverty in the world than in any t- other time Mo- more of the population will be out of poverty because of that and here was another thing that they said the 350 years of western civilization domination will be largely reversed now let me say that say that they said the 350-year domination of Western civilization in the world will be largely reversed by 2030. So that means icons, images, political views, concepts—all of those things that have been predominant. We thought we we seem to believe that they've always been there, but that's not true. They had a rise too, but now they're on the decline. You see a lot of that happening in Europe already because of a lot of their austerity measures. they got a lot of challenges. Now you're seeing it certainly in the United States. There's going to be challenges there. The same kind of influence where it could dictate how the world would go, though that level of power will be largely reversed by 2030. So that means what you're really talking about is in a completely different kind of world. It doesn't mean that the United States is going to also fall off the edge of the earth. It only means that the predominance of images that reflect Western culture and ideas and philosophies and you know leadership and all those things, they are going to be largely reversed by 2030. Now this is the NIC saying that. I mean, uh, when from- you
0: say reverse, what what do you mean? Do you mean other nations supplanting the US as the world superpower or their influences will 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 overtake western influence in terms of the global um, dynamics?
4: All of the above. Okay. We already see that happening with China. We well, I was just
0: about that. to mention that to you, yeah. Chet, because I've seen <laughs> the article today.
4: To we already know that they've had the the biggest and the most expansive, um, uh, not the biggest yet, but the most, the fastest growing, the most expansive economy in the world for the past ten years. And now so,
0: they're starting a positive. bank that has Washington kind of scared.
4: Yeah, well, it, it, Washington has to have to deal with it from the perspective of we've created this level of debt and it's there and. China owns our note. If they ever called in the note, no, well, no, no. which they wouldn't, uh, because they kind of because they own the note. No, you
0: no. Know, let, me, let, let me let me let me clarify, uh, brother Chet, um, And this is yes. something that I learned recently as I've been paying more attention because of a new program called uh, Tando Radio Show where they talk about currencies, precious metals, and, and sure. geopolitical events. But China, I, I, if you had not heard, is creating. Uh, a banking system is is called asia Bank and to that, to yeah. to where yeah they are going to supplant the World Bank, which we know is controlled by who the western powers primarily yes. the American which keeps the dollar as this so called reserve currency, so I see that as a paradigm shift that's coming yes. down the pipe
2: now here 's the
4: deal here 's the deal with all this this giant paradigm shift economically politically philosophically, all of those things we I'm just Now I'm going to make it local Okay. African Americans Have no vision of a world outside Most, and I shouldn't say all of us But a good portion of us have no vision Of a world outside of western dominance okay. In other words We have yet to develop An identity uh, That is global And that has that kind of global reach And power and that is self-sufficient So as The west recedes some of us may recede too. We'll be running back going, what's wrong, boss? we sick. Because we don't have an identity outside of that. We don't have a bigger global citizen kind of identity. And when that happens, m- many of us may be challenged, but my, uh, what I'm submitting uh, to African Americans in particular is to become aware of this paradigm shift mm-hmm. so that we can start to re-embrace concepts and ideas That maybe we were trying to squeeze out before, but it just seemed kind of silly because they're like, oh, well, you know, the West will always be like this. But if their own intelligence agencies are saying, no, it's not going to happen, that means we need to redefine ourselves in this new world, in this new paradigm.
0: And preparing? What's that again? Preparing?
4: Preparation? Yes, absolutely. To start to see ourselves differently that, to see ourselves as, or to see this new world as a world of opportunity that will present options that we didn't think would exist for us. Now, but, but they are global in reach, as opposed to what we used to think very provincially, that somehow if it ain't dealing with the United States, we don't want to deal with it. Well, that's the kiss of death. I can tell you that right now. Now we have to start to say, how do we look on, on ourselves from a global place? How do we make our global connections you know what kind of partners can we team with you know how do we rethink about ourselves and our relationship to the United States so because without that 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 boot on the neck that that philosophical and you know all those things that you kind of dictated how our lives would go with those in recession how do we step into that space so that it is a good thing Yes, certainly for here, for home, but also in the, in the world. How do we step into that? And that to me is, that's my personal mission, not just for African Americans, but certainly around the world. How do we occupy this, this space, this new space that's being, that's emerging right now? And it is happening. Whether or not people believe it or not is irrelevant. It is happening. I mean, that's what I wrote in the book are 54 of the biggest trends that show these things happening. There's this movement toward feminine principle leadership happening around the world. Feminine principle leadership don't mean that women are now going to take over and kick men out. It only means now we start including some of the things that we used to call the soft skills. Well, now we're including that same stuff that our mother used to teach us when we were young. She say, share your with your toys and, you know, be good to other people, be kind and stuff like that. Well, now it's not just a mother saying that Now there are governments saying that They realize that we have to share mm-hmm. You know, you, there can't be one person that says Or one particular power that controls all the, um, all the resources For the benefit of the few at the expense of the many That's the old paradigm Now it's like our mothers used to say It's time for us to share We've got to share in order for all of us to do well That's the kind of world that's emerging there's this thing called collective impact. People are starting to talk about, you know what, there's some issues that we can't handle alone. We have to team up with other groups of people around the world in order to resolve some of these issues. There's food consciousness that, that's emerging. People are starting to talk about how do we deal with making sure that we, we don't, we don't live to eat, but we eat to live. You know, we live from a, di- a different kind of place when it comes to food. Uh, there's this whole aspect of the massive open online classroom. You know, we always talk about, yeah, we got to get our kids to college, but maybe they could just get the same information online in the MOOCs that are emerging all around the world. You can get a Harvard education right now online for free. You may not get the paper, but you will have the education necessary that you need in order to become your greatest so, I, I just heard
0: the, somebody, um, I do need to take a short station identification break, but yeah. I just heard somebody talking a, a, about that, about educating yourself and, and that, you know, they were talking about it in terms of stockbrokers and whatnot and how when they go to college, they don't really teach them what, what they really teach them is like the rules and regulations of the F, um, excuse me, the SEC and, but they don't really teach them about investing money or anything like that and 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 so you know saying that that's sort of things that you learn on your own that they don't teach you um in in college so we'll take a short station identification break you're listening to black talk radio news with scotty reed just a reminder tando radio show um and i will double check just quickly, Tando Radio Show. I do not believe they will be broadcasting, uh, this evening as David is on the road. Um, so, but we are talking to Mr. Chet Sis. We are talking about, um, paradigm shifts in the world. What's coming? Uh, what can we do to prepare? Uh, again, he's, he has a book above and beyond all that we know how to thrive and succeed in the current world. Paradigm shift. If you have a question or comment, you can give us a call at 530 881 1400. The access code is 549 032 pound. It's star six and one to comment on air. Y'all stay tuned. We will be right back. Are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network for live programming schedules. Visit us on the web at Black Talk Radio and welcome back to Black Talk Radio Network.com. Remember, anytime you want to know about any upcoming programming um not just on this station Black Talk Radio Network but any of the other independent stations you have in understanding isness radio the uh context of white supremacy time for awakening radio uh the justice radio station african americans ain't african the gospel exchange broadcast and um yeah those are some of the um stations that you can, uh, tune into on blacktalkradionetwork.com. Again, our guest today is Mr. Uh, Chet Sisk and we are talking about the coming paradigm shifts and just before the break we were talking about, uh, changes in education. Um, Chet, Um, I was thinking about the president talking about making and, and this isn't something he just brought up but he has talked about making college affordable and, and even looking at making community college educations free but you know some people say well how might that work well you just mentioned online classrooms and, and, and things yeah. of that nature Uh um, so I mean what are your thoughts do you think we're headed towards a free education where you get the paper
4: yes Let me just say there are several books out there running right now saying the same thing. College education as we know it will be a myth very, very shortly. Okay. (laughs) mostly because of the fact that how it's set up in its its corporate structure. I mean, there will still be people going to these institutions, but they will not be necessary for you to become your greatest self because the structure that they are set in, they, they set themselves up over, I'd say, the 1970s. They started realizing they could make a whole lot of money through debt. And, and and so all of a sudden now we're at that critical mass number where people can't afford or they're they're saddled by education debt in order to, and they and they can't live the life that they want. So there are people who are saying, you know what, I got to find another way, and that's what they're asking: is there another way for me to get that level of education without being a, becoming a debt slave uh, as as these guys have set up this corporate structure for education? And yes, those options are now emerging, and uh, the, that's. That's the only reason why you have the MOOCs that are emerging, the massive online education, open classrooms, because of the fact that they're recognizing that people still want to, still want levels of education. They want to improve their lives so that they can go and do greater things in the world, but they don't want to be a debt slave at the same time.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: So it's, it's happening, and that whole aspect of even making community college free is, is probably one of the smartest moves the president could have done, because again, people are weighing the options. When they say, I don't know if education is worth it, they're not saying that education is not valuable. Right. They're just saying that, is it worth becoming a debt slave? Right. They're 10, like, 20, oh, 30, 30 years in debt. I don't want debt. to do that. Mm. Hey, I'll just I'll do something else first. Well, that's really what's happening. People think that people are downing education, but it re- it's the structure of education as we know it that is being challenged. And I, and I say about time.
0: Hmm. I, I, I would yep. echo that. i say about time too. I would like to see that. Would like to. Um, now what are some of the other paradigm hallmarks that, that we should be seeing here as we get into what you say a paradigm shift and, and and let me just back up a bit now you know from what the background information that you know I had um obtained on reading about this um we're currently in a period of the information society so what 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 can you um define what is the infor- is there anything like the information age or the information highway or or what are are we what living in a period of the free exchange of information
4: Yes. Yes. Let me let me break it down because people are they're probably sitting and listening to this guy. He's breaking down all this stuff about paradigm shift. What the heck is he talking about? I don't believe in it. It's a myth. I had a guy ask him to come up to me and say, I don't believe what you're talking about, and I just laughed because I was sitting there going, uh, it's not even a matter of you believe it or not. It's whether or not you're going to respond to that which is happening. Mm-hmm. But there have been several paradigm shifts before in history. Let's just use the United States for an example. The United States started off as an agrarian society. Most everybody was a farmer. In fact, the vast majority of everybody was a farmer on, in the United States. And then, all of a sudden, the Industrial Revolution came. And then people moved from farms to the city. In fact, it happened so quickly, people didn't even know it happened. So you had this vast majority of people who one time lived in, on, in rural areas, now all of a sudden moved to the cities. They, they lived in the cities because they were seeking industrial jobs. So now you have um, that particular paradigm shift. That's a change in the way that we we saw each other, how we earned our living, how we traveled through the world, because we moved from the farm, which was one way how the like how the world went, into an industrial age. Now all of a sudden you have then you had another shift where people moved from the industrial age to the information age. At one time it was like well because the United States has all these. You know, manufacturing companies, you know, will always be a world power. Well, the real power is now in information. You know, who has the information? So all of a sudden, you start looking around the country and all these factories are closing up and they're like, they're blaming it on the presidents and such and blah, 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 and all of those things. But the reality is that the economy changed where it became information based as opposed to industrial based. See, a lot of politicians don't tell people that, so they blame their opponent and say the opponent, made us lose jobs over to China and stuff like that. But that's not true. When, we choose, when the paradigm shift happened, it changed the way that we started seeing ourselves and doing things in the world. Here's another paradigm shift. You are moving from the information age to what I call the enlightenment empowerment age. And that means the stuff that we used to rely upon systems to do for us, we now do ourselves. We used to have to go to the bank in order to do our banking. We have to have meet with a banker. Now you can do everything online. We used to have to, um, you know, I mean, everything that you can think of. Hey, I got have a new book coming out. I used to have to go through a publisher and all these layers of people, Mm -hmm. hierarchical structures, in order to get it done. Now you know I can do everything online. So that means with much more responsibility requires a higher level of us too. That's why the time is calling for us to become greater human beings simply because we have more responsibility than we did back in the old days when everything was done for us through the institutions. Not anymore. That's the big major shift. We used to have the giant hierarchical structure with the one guy at the top telling all the people at the bottom how to be and, you know, how it's going to be structured. I can tell you right now, uh, 18 to 35-year-olds, they ain't having it Because they're working in lateral organizations Where people work across the board And they work collaboratively They don't work in hierarchical let, let me just say this one thing There was a guy who came to me one time He was sweating me about Yeah, you know, these young people They're not going to church anymore and they're, Because they're losing their religion They ain't losing their religion They're more spiritual probably now than ever And the reason why is because They have these collaborative kinds of environments, right? They live together, they work together, they share cars, they share apartments, they share a little bit of everything. And then they go to church, and they're looking at not a lateral organization, but a hierarchical one, right? Mm. One guy at the top and a bunch of guys working underneath him to tell the other people what to do. Well, if you're an 18- to 35-year-old, that don't make sense. So the very structure of the old paradigm, the top-down paradigm, one guy at the top, and I say guy, because it was very patriarchal. Uh, one guy at the top telling everybody else what to do that don't make sense for a lot of folk anymore because of the fact that this this particular shift. So they're moving from the hierarchical to the to the uh, lateral kinds of organization. people are now moving also to social entrepreneurism.
2: Sure. that
4: is they're going into the business, but the business is designed to do as one lady uh, one of my colleagues Was talking last night she says, it's got to have the three bottom lines, people, profit, and planet. So those things aren't separate. In the old paradigm, people could go and just say, our chief mode is to make profit at any means necessary. That means destroying the planet, exploiting the people, raping the resources, doing everything for profit. That was the old paradigm. People want to deny it and tell them, no, that wasn't true. Of course it was true. Just for clarification,
0: Chet, for clarification, we're still living in that period, what, what you're talking about, the empowerment, um, that's to come. Because right now, you know, the things that you just mentioned, the exploitation, the, you know, yeah. Profit by any means necessary. We, you know, on this network talk a lot about 21st century slavery legalized through the 13th amendment and all the different corporations, states, and even the federal government profiting off of prison slave labor. So we, just to be clear, we're still in that period you're talking about, but you're saying that with the, the, particularly with the generation 18 to 35, that that's, that, that is changing.
4: Yes, you're exactly right. That when you when you talk about a, a current paradigm shift which is what my book is about okay. that means you're in the middle of the shifting of the ages okay. now remember the last time you, I, you were on my show I was talking about how the Mayans were talking about oh there's going to be this change of the age and and then all of a sudden movie producers were going on talking about it was the end of the earth well mm-hmm. the Mayans never said it was going to be the end of the earth what they said was there was going to be a change kind of a cycle shift and and so I started walking around, started thinking and saying, well, that sounds like it sounds a little far out there. Let me check it out. And what I discovered from the doing all of this checking out, researching and reading what people were saying, where things were going, I found 54 trends that were redefining the world. They are part of the shift. And so it's, it's not a matter of looking into a crystal ball and trying to predict something. It really is. What decisions have we already made about the world going forward? That's really what's happening. That's what the book is about. We've made some decisions. We may not see them fully actualized right now, Mm -hmm. but just like the NIC report says, they will be fully actualized because that's where we're trending. So here's the thing. I'm going to say this to your audience, that we must, it it is the kiss of death, If we don't know where the world is going, we're going to get left behind because we're going to be having old arguments about an old world that will no longer exist. So now we have to talk about instead of saying what can't we do or what is keeping us behind, we now have to say let's talk about our world going forward in relationship to all of these trends that are reshaping the planet. If we're not having that conversation, we're somebody's playing a game with us. We're being gamed. We're being tricked because as long as you're talking about old paradigm stuff in a new world, you will be further and further behind. It will, it, in 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 some ways, you'll become obsolete. So we must have a different kind of conversation about our way forward. And let me suggest this too: there have always been these people talking about, "Boy, we need to change. We need to change. We need to do something." Well, guess what that window of opportunity exists right now so there are no more excuses we can't say you know well if we just had the power if we had the opportunity we could do something I'm, I'm saying this in, in, and I'm not just this is just not like light, light talk this is these things are happening the window of opportunity has emerged what are you going to do with that window of opportunity if we don't do something If we don't make the way forward, someone will make it forward for us, even in the new world. And, yes, there is a risk of us becoming obsolete if we don't emerge to see these things are happening. So it's a very critical time. It's an extremely critical time for all the world. But even more so we should at least be aware that the trends are happening and that change is afoot and that a window of opportunity exists. All the things we used to talk about, we used to fantasize about, like man, if we could, we had just more world freedom and, and happiness and some other things, we could do some things. If we had more resources at our disposal and, and, and more partnerships around the world, we could do some things. Well, there's no excuse now. Because yeah,
0: cause I'm thinking crowdfunding, how people have, and we've had people on with organizations to crowdfund stuff, and that's the things that... You've been talking about in in you yes. know creating social yes. entrepreneurship and and uh, lateral structures yes. instead of you know top down hierarchy. So I, I'm I'm yes. actually seeing evidence of these things that you talk about.
4: Yes, and you'll continue to see them. That's the thing is that you're seeing bits and pieces now. But like I said, we're we're currently in this paradigm shift. We're in a shift period where you start to see one world disappear and another world start to emerge. So you're mm-hmm. going to see more and more evidence of that. And you'll sit back and go, oh, going that dog on Chet Sisk was talking about that back in 2015. Mm-hmm. And it's true. So so the key becomes to get the word out to make sure that people understand what's happening so they don't become fearful. That's my major concern is that sometimes when people see change, they become fearful. And then they and they, they recoil. They'll go and they'll hide. But I, I I'll say this, that my job is not to even create any level of fear, but to make sure that we understand this is a time of joy and a time of opportunity above and beyond anything we could have imagined over the past 400 years. If you're waiting for something to shift so that you can step into some level of, of, of your greatest self for you, your family, and your family's family so that the ancestors will speak your, your name in the hall of, of honor with honor. Here is that window of opportunity. Otherwise, they're going to hold us responsible for going back in our cave and talking about, oh, them people don't treat us right. They'll be like, uh-uh, and tell us what else to do. So they're going to ask us to do something. They're asking us to do something else. And I I would even submit it for those of you who have an appreciation for, for the ancestors, that they are asking us to become aware of what is happening so that we can become our greatest selves, not just for us, for the greatest the greatest part of humanity. I mean, you ever think that maybe this is an opportunity that we need to step into that is a part of the puzzle for the greatness of humanity as opposed to uh, just a black eye for humanity? It may be something greater, but we'll never know unless we step into it. But it's going to take courageous, brave people who can remind people not to be fearful, but to step into it. And that's, that's my job. I mean, that's part of my job, me and thousands of others all around the world, to say this is a great time to be alive. It's as crazy as it seems. Now, let me just also say this. Whenever there's a change in any kind of age, there's going to be pushback from those who are destined, who, who want to make sure they maintain the status quo because it's working for them. They don't want to change. This just to change, too. Why do you think ISIS goes and does some of the things that they do? I mean, all of that stuff is because they see the barbarians at the gate. These guys are like, oh my gosh, I'm seeing something. And so they're pushing back. Otherwise, they would just chill. They'd be like, things are going exactly the way we want. But when they see all of these things happening that means that, you know, their, their demise in the very short future, they're sitting there going, okay, we got to push back. We got to make a lot of noise. That's why you got a lot of organizations trying to consolidate all their their, their power and their... their, I mean, all of these things that you're seeing now all around the world when you see craziness. It's not because it's happening with the majority of the people. You just have a small minority of people who are saying, I am invested in the status quo, and when I see it, it being threatened, I push back, I make a lot of noise, and I get loud. Okay, you might as well just... Make your peace and expect that. That is a part of the deal. People will push back against change. But what I'm suggesting is that we embrace this change because it is not working against us. It is working in our favor.
0: Mr. Chet Sis has been our guest, and we have been talking about global paradigm shifts. Chet, can you tell people how they can uh, get in touch with you, how they can follow you, um, social media, contacts, website, anything that you would like to give, and tell them when the book is coming out.
4: Yeah, the book is coming out in a couple of weeks. I've been just, like, working feverishly so trying to make sure that I get it edited right, that it, it, the book is based the conference that we're bringing to denver is based around the book and i'm working at the privilege of being able to work with the denver center for international studies on this they're bringing that people into it i am the leadership development specialist for an organization called the world assembly of youth and so we've been meeting all around the world and that's how i had a chance to start to observe some of the things that are happening so i i, I work in, on a global in a global capacity but I keep my roots at home. You know, my, my my mama still gets up every morning back in Waterloo, Iowa, and uh, I've got good people here in Denver. But the way to get a hold of me is, A, go to our website, which is coleadinternational.org, or you can email me directly at chet, I'm sorry, it's chet, C-H-E-T, at chetcisc, C-H-E-T, Dot com. That's C H E T S is in Sam I S K Facebook above brother. You know I'm on Facebook. Chet Sisk. Hit me up on WhatsApp. Chet W Sisk. Hit me on Twitter. Chet W Sisk. Let's see. There's so many ways. That's the other trend that's happening too. Is that we want to do everything we can to remain transparent so that because the true currency in the future will be trust do you trust this person if you don't trust them go check them out or at least check what they say against what you're seeing Mm -hmm. so that they can remain transparent in their their dealing and you have knowledge you there's no excuse anymore you used to be able to say well I guess that's what they I guess it must be true if they said it well now you can check out and see if what I'm saying is true You, you if you don't in fact you're just making as big mistake as those people who don't check out anything at all I mean you must check out what everybody says you have the ability you have the tools that, that are at your disposal to check out what I'm saying but it's happening particularly that report from the NIC which is all over the internet and that talks about this giant shift that's happening but um, but yeah hit me up at the website you can even go to um, leadtheshift.com that's another one of the websites too but It's all saying the same thing, that we're in the middle of a shift period, and the most powerful and most important thing that we do going forward is to step into the shift with boldness, with courage, and with love, love from the inside, because remember, you can't give what you don't have. You don't have the love, you can't give the love. But once you have it, all you want to do is give it, because you're not afraid anymore. You're now living from the place of personal power. That doesn't mean that scary things will happen. It only means that you live from a a place of intention as opposed to reaction. And that's what we've been doing for years, is reacting to what other people do to us. And then we say, okay, I'm just waiting for what they're going to do next, and then I'm going to respond to that. And that's a poor way of living. That's a poverty way of living. We can live from a greater place.
0: Well, thank you again for joining us, Chet. It's good to speak to you uh, again over the phone after a uh, couple of years and hope that you will stay in touch and, and do let us know when the book comes out.
4: I will, my brother. I will. I, I'm, I'm, I'm gearing up for it. It's, it's a work of a lifetime, so I'm, I'm very happy to be able to release it at the most critical time in humanity that we know.
0: Well, we're looking forward to it, and until then, you have a great day.
4: Thank you, my brother. appreciate
2: you.
0: Alright, that is um, our interview as we get ready to wrap up the program. I have checked my email and and no uh Tando Radio program will not be on air tonight live. They will be on air tomorrow 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. As I stated, David is still traveling. Um, again, uh, go look up the information about Mumia Abu-Jamal. There is a Twitter campaign going on under the hashtag Mamia must live and so uh, people are just really concerned about him um, just got a message from NYC Jericho they said uh, Mamia was transferred back to the infirmary at SCI Mahoney the same prison infirmary that failed to identify his diabetes gravely mixed diagnosed him and gave him severely detrimental treatment Okay, severely, and that's from prison radio actually that, that published that. Um, the telephone campaign to get his family access initially was successful, but now I'm getting information that they are only going to allow the family members to have contact with him once a week. This is during a medical emergency now. This man could be on death's doorstep, but you know, that's, that's how, um, they show you. Every day, what they think about you, so um keep him in your prayers um if you can make those phone calls uh do indeed make those phone calls again. We have published information on the Facebook page political prisoner radio, speaking of political prisoners um got some information on uh what did I do with that information? Yes, the um uh, New Jersey Supreme Court is considering. Uh, whether or not they are going to release Sundiata Akoli, uh, uh, we mentioned, uh, Sister Asada Shakur, she, um, he was in the car with her when the New Jersey state police officers attempted to assassinate them. Uh, he has been in prison all this time. Again, going all the way back to 1973. Uh, recently a lower court in the state of New Jersey said that he has served all of his time. Constitutionally in this state and, and you have to let him go. And so of course the attorney general of New Jersey challenged that. And so now it's before the New Jersey Supreme Court and we will think positive thoughts and, and, and hope that the outcome will be that the Supreme Court will uphold the ruling to release our brother, our elder, our freedom fighter, Sundiata Akoli. All right. And the last thing again concerning political prisoners today is the birthdays of Charles Sims Africa and Delbert or Africa. Both of those are members of the move family, members of the political prisoners known as the move nine. All right. And they just recently lost a family member, Phil Africa, in the past couple of weeks but it is those brothers birthdays and and so we just want to send our birthday greetings uh to those political prisoners who dare to struggle dare to win so that's the end of the program uh stay tuned for for pre-recorded programming on the station thank you for tuning in to black talk radio news right here on the black talk radio network i will be on air Tomorrow, um, yeah, 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Don't forget to uh, check out The Abolitionist Daily tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Y'all be safe out there. Peace and blessings to all.
2: Exist in a state of as we are protected by the red, the, black, and the, green. the words of the brothers.